Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Homecoming Podcast. For those of you who may have just stumbled across this podcast for the first time, thank you so much for tuning in. Homecoming is a podcast that provides the space for Asians, Asian Americans, mixed heritage Asians, and basically Asians of all backgrounds to share their stories, experiences, and insights about issues from international politics to intergenerational trauma to radical queerness to interracial solidarity and basically everything in between. Um, and I am Angel Rena, the creator and host of Homecoming, and you are currently listening to an off-season episode of Homecoming. So actually, season one, uh, for those of you who don't know, wrapped up back in October, hoping to start season two in January, and definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, but I was thinking earlier that I would want to do somewhat of a more casual episode um, during this off season. I think I might do that moving forward as well. Um, and, and I sort of had the idea of doing sort of like a off season life update video episode in which um, I bring like a friend or two on the podcast and we just chat, we, you know, catch up, talk about issues that have been on, been on our minds um, because, you know, especially during this these past few months, these past eight months specifically that I've been in quarantine at least, um, I've definitely had a lot of time to reflect and be super introspective and I'm sure a lot of my friends have too. So just thought it'd be great to have these more casual episodes um, moving forward during the off season, less structured than um, typical on season episodes. But so today my guest is Sam Katz. Sam, say hello. Hello. Hi, everyone. Sam. <laughs> so, Sam, like disclaimer to all the listeners too, like you're not Asian, right? No, I am. I am fully fully bred. Jew. Is, is that, is that, that's a yes. That's my ethnicity. Okay. That yes. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I know for people who may be listening, you're probably wondering like, Angelina, you just gave this whole spiel of what homecoming is about, you know, sharing Asian stories, etc. Why do you have Sam on your podcast? <laughs> and, you know, great question. Totally valid question. And I was thinking about how to respond to this. And I think, one, I want to say that one of the main reasons why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place was for people to be able to share stories so that people can understand one another better um, from an interracial solidarity standpoint. Um, you know, I started this podcast originally because... I was watching all these different shows. They didn't really have Asian guests on, and that was a problem in and of itself. But I thought this is also a huge missed opportunity to build interracial solidarity. And <clears throat> I know there are a ton of podcasts and organizations out there that are like for and by Asians, and that's their structure. And, you know, that's totally, totally great. And that's wonderful that you're creating like comfortable spaces for Asians. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if I want Homecoming to be that sort of platform like I definitely want to have guests on 
who are not necessarily Asian, but are members of communities who are close to us, um, however you want to define that. Like, I don't want homecoming to be some sort of, like, exclusive party. Like, I don't think that's what we're about. Um, and second of all, I want to mention that, honestly, like, I think we can learn so much from people who aren't the same race as we are. You know, all of the issues um, that we're going to talk about today, Sam, mm -hmm. like, they're completely applicable to basically every person. Um, I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about yet because it's just going to be a <laughs> conversation. But, you know, things like nostalgia, love, like being a teenager and having to take remote classes, like all of that stuff um, are experiences and stories many of us share. So that's to say, I hope that no matter who you are, who's listening to this episode and to this podcast, like, I hope you're moved in some way. I hope you feel something and I hope you learn something. Um, and that's basically uh, all I can ask for. Um, but yeah, that's my spiel. Sam, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for saying yes uh, when I asked. Um, maybe you can introduce yourself first and then we can talk about like how we know each other and how we met. All right, uh, that, that makes sense. So hi, listeners. Uh, oh wait, wait. Um, Long-time listener, first-time caller. I thought I was going to say that. Um, mm -hmm. My name is, I'm Sam Katz. That's my, that's my full name. I use he, him pronouns. And right now I'm at McGill University in Montreal, Quebec. Um, but I am from, I'm from the States. I'm from a town north of Boston called Marblehead. Um, I went to background with Angelina. Uh, we went to the same high school. We both went to Phillips Academy in Massachusetts. And we met, I think, our junior year, uh, we were we both want to run for this uh, this position called like cluster co-president, and we like met. I think one of our mutual friends was like, "Yo, you guys should run together," and so that's how we met. And then we gave a baller speech. We and then we won, and then we were even more, even more baller co-presidents. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's, I, I remember, you know, when we met junior year, that was like such a crazy time, like, you know, in March or February or whenever people start thinking about like what leadership positions they're going to have the next year. Like that mm -hmm. was a hectic time. Like I, I remember <laughs> I was like so stressed. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I definitely want to run for, the, for this position. I don't know like who I'm going to run with, but then we found each other Sam and it was it was you know we definitely got a lot closer after that especially senior year um, and for people who are listening who don't know what like a cluster is basically at like our school um, they're like residential neighborhoods basically right mm -hmm. um, and there are five of them total and we were the co-presidents of Pine Knoll which no. is <laughs> best cluster honestly objectively the best even even two years out it's still the best yes <laughs> yeah but yeah sam and i are pretty good friends but um we haven't really talked in a while like we haven't i don't think we facetimed since we've graduated i don't think so that's definitely though i think that's something i'm trying to address i don't facetime almost anyone typically but since the pandemic has hit i've 
tried to use that as an opportunity to not fall out of contact with, I guess, friends from high school, because that was definitely happening before, which is, it's sad when you start to realize it. But now this is part of the rectification of that. This is part of the, the growth and staying in contact with people who do mean a lot to me. So, mm-hmm. yay. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> do you feel like, I mean, how many, how many Andover kids go to McGill? Uh, from our grade, uh, just Hugo and I, I believe. Okay. Or maybe I'm forgetting. But in the grade below us, there are like five that went. And it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It, I like to think I'm a trendsetter. Also because Hugo took a gap year. And so that's kind of like oh. setting a precedent. Uh-huh. But and, I don't know. It's fun. It's fun going to Canada and just escaping the U.S. a little bit. We can talk about that later in the podcast. But yeah. it's just very... Um, for my mental health, I think just leaving the U.S., even though Canada has a lot of problems, as I've as I've learned and am coming to terms with, uh, it's just it feels it feels like I can actually have intellectual discourse with people that isn't just rooted. Sorry, okay, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's okay. Yeah, we can. We'll we'll get into that. We'll get into that for sure. Like you were definitely one of those Americans who actually were like, <laughs> I'm gonna move somewhere else. Like actually. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of followed up on the threat, um, but it's good. (laughs) Um, But Sam, like overall, how have you been these past few months? Um, What's your life been like? Have you mostly been at McGill? Have you been at home in Marblehead? Like what's been happening? Well, once the pandemic hit, uh, I flew back from school because being across an international border was just not what I wanted to happen at the beginning of like uh, a, a pandemic because there was a lot of talk of it shutting down and it did somewhat shut down not really but to people who didn't have visas for instance so I just wanted to get back as soon as I could and then I spent probably the next five six months of the pandemic at home and that was that was really good I think I needed I needed some time to just I think spend uh just quality time with my parents because that's something I never really had considering Andrew, maybe we can talk about this because we both went to Andover and honestly, I hadn't spent like six months with my parents in a, like four or five years, yeah. right? So just I, honestly living with them and living with them for just being in this crazy situation together kind of, I don't want to say it like brought us together because obviously we're family and we do love each other, but it definitely allowed us to, I think like my parents got a much better sense of who I'm becoming and I got a much better sense of who like my parents kind of uh, see themselves as a much more, I guess, mature understanding. Wow. So, <laughs> but then now I'm, but now I'm back to not make it confusing. And now I'm back in Montreal. I'm at an apartment and I guess uh, emotionally, this is, I can't say like this has not been a good eight months. Right. Like I can, that's not to say there's not given good parts. It's just, there's a lot of like death in this world right now. And that's just an ever present reality. And there's a lot of isolation. And I think to say that it's been an emotionally good time is, I mean, a very positive outlook, but it's not, I can't honest, honestly say I hold that outlook, but I am definitely, I found a lot of ways, I guess, to make sure that I don't just fall deeper into despair than I would normally, but Uh, it's yeah it is not 
but I like, again, I don't think that's due to any special circumstances. I think that's more just coming from a position of empathy and isolation. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, I've, <laughs> I've also been feeling a lot of despair <laughs> <laughs> the past eight months because it's, it's just, I don't know, like when you think about a lot of problems that our world has, it's like, it's so deeply rooted like for centuries and centuries, like these are, these have been our institutions. And like, this has been the way that like society works. And it's like, wow, that's going to take like centuries and centuries. If like, if not more to deconstruct. So it's pretty, uh, I don't know. I, I thought about that a lot, like at the beginning of quarantine, but I feel like now I've gotten to a more like at peace place. Would you say you're you're accepting the world, not necessarily as it is, but as something that will never be perfect? Is that fair to say? I yeah. And I think also part of it has been I've decided to be I don't know if like selfish is the right word, but like a little more selfish in terms of, okay, like I just have to focus on myself and think about the impact that I want to have in the Mm -hmm. future. You know, like that's all I can really do. That's kind of like a a stoic mindset, you know? Yeah. Like Marcus Aurelius quotes on your wall. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, oh no just like philosophy everything is philosophy man i gotta relate it back no like just like the stoic idea that the only thing that you should really get worked up about is that which you can control which most typically is the smaller stuff that surrounds you mm. and that's that's i mean that's hard when we're facing existential issues like a pandemic and uh climate change and <laughs> the behemoth that is the u.s is like like racist system right so I think we look at all those and it's, that's where my despair comes from. And from the sounds of it, that's also where a lot of, or at least a lot of yours was. Mm-hmm. But it sounds, it sounds like we've, we've developed ways to not necessarily ignore that, but understand that you need to take action despite the fact that what we're going to do or what, whatever we do is probably not going to solve these issues. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, what has been your mindset like, how have you maintained optimism for the future? Um, well, I'm he- hesitant to say I'm optimistic, but I'm definitely not fully pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not a doomer over here. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to doomsay and put up signs saying, the end is nigh, repent, you know, give up everything for the kingdom of heaven. Nah. I, I, that's not my current mindset, but I, like, okay, let me contextualize this. I've been working for the ACLU on their Smart Justice campaign, just in New Hampshire, since I believe early April, March, ever since the pandemic started, right? And the work that I'm doing is, I'd say, really important, and it is helping people and helping like the material quality of many people's lives, right? But is it going to end systemic racism in uh, America or even just in New Hampshire? No. Mm-hmm. It, that's a, that's a, re, a very, 
it's a harsh reality to face. Yeah. And I, I don't see these issues. I'm, a, and this is where I get to be more pessimistic. I don't see these issues as being fully solved in a realistic sense in my lifetime. Um, I have hope and I will try to take more radical solutions so that they can be solved and not just resign myself to saying that they are, oh, they aren't going to, they're, they're just here. This is an immutable fact of American life. No, I'm not fully resigning myself, but I'm, I, I, I can't say I'm an optimist because I don't think the ideals and the goals that I'm myself striving to achieve, such as, I don't know, prison abolition, I don't, I don't see that as a, a immediate uh, policy reality in America or in any state, unfortunately. Mm-hmm, right. But yeah, I, yeah, I think also though, it's like, I was listening to Michelle Obama's new podcast and it was like one of her, maybe her very first episode, or I think it was her episode when she was talking to Barack Obama, her husband. And she was like, I stay hopeful or I'm optimistic because like I have no other choice. And like that kind of resonated with me because I was just thinking like, do I really want to live like a life of just despair and doom and being super pessimistic all the time? Like that sounds so depressing. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I guess I have to sort of like force myself to be a little more optimistic and like keep pushing because I think if I do the complete opposite and I'm just like super depressed and, and then, you know, despairing all the time, like that's not going to push society forward in very Mm. small steps, you know? So. Okay. Damn. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, we, we really got into the deep stuff like right at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it's always just on the surface and we're just waiting for an opportunity to talk about it. So, but we, <laughs> we can pull it back. <laughs> we can always just pull it back and be like, yeah, like fun stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, 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 tell me mm. what classes you're taking and what is your prospective major for the listeners too. Okay. Before I tell my classes, I think I should preface it with my, my majors. Um, I'm a philosophy and sociology double major. And as you will see, I'm taking, or as I'll explain now, I'm taking two philosophy courses and two sociology courses. So that's kind of the entirety of my life right now. And they're mostly requirements. I'm taking like a sociological, like uh, perspectives and a sociological inquiry co- course, and I'm, which are distinct but are, mm, mm, they really, uh, they really out here as my requirements. I'm also taking a logic class, which is really fun. I love logic puzzles and that's just, like now I get to do logic puzzles for homework. And uh, my last class is 19th century philosophy, just probably my only like really stimulating class right now. And it's coincidentally my only non-requirement, but so that's also part of why I've been not doing too well these past, at least this term, because I don't really feel uh, in an, in the academic setting, not independently. I don't feel academically stimulated too much because I'd say I only have one class that challenges the way I think and presents to me new robust ideas, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. But you're taking all these philosophy classes. Like you don't feel like those are like, even though there are requirements, you don't feel like they're pushing you in any way. Well, I would say my 19th century philosophy class in which we're reading, like we just read Schopenhauer, who is awesome. I love Schopenhauer. That man is just, he is a doomer. He is like, he says, you know, life, <laughs> life is pain. <laughs> and, <laughs> but he, he doesn't even take, he doesn't even go like, you know how Nietzsche is like, life is pain, but like, we should still do like stuff, right? I think Schopenhauer is kind of just like, yeah, but like, it will always suck. <laughs> wow. That's, that's the really, that's the big brained intellectual take on Schopenhauer for the readers who actually know about him and are probably very mad that I butchered his philosophy like that. No, that class, I do have one, that, like I'm saying, that's the one class that stimulates me, but my other classes, and I don't know if this is a common experience, right? To, I guess to just people who are taking their requirement classes, but these other classes just, like they're, again, they're necessary for my major but for my majors, but like, I do not feel like as a person, I am truly growing or uh, moving onwards with each class, which is an unrealistic expectation for, for every academic class to be that good, that it reroutes your perspective on something. But at the same time, I, I, I think I would, I could have, uh, I could have planned my schedule better to not take all of my requirements at the same time and have almost nothing that, you know, stimulates my brain. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I have two questions for you then. Are you taking online classes still or do you do in person? We, we're only online right now, though. I think we have, uh, there's talk of in-person next term. So only online. (laughs) And the second question, like, why did you want to major in philosophy and sociology? I, because I remember mm-hmm. when we were at Andover, mm. I, I, I remember, I think you were saying how you wanted to go into philosophy, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Prescott definitely sent me down a path of uh, philosophy, I'd say. Mm. But I guess, so I guess philosophy like is one of the things I just love feeling dumb because I am dumb. And I think, no, I see, here's the thing. I, I know I'm dumb, but I'm also, I'm also not humble. Right. So like I have too much confidence sometimes and I like philosophy as a way to like rein me in, you know, to say, hold on, you don't. Cause if you like so many, like, especially like basic philosophical texts, the point is essentially we know nothing or like, you can only maybe get at the truth, but you'll never actually achieve the truth, right? And I love that idea that I am, that my, uh, my, uh, my being as a moron is not necessarily, like that is a human inevitability, but that doesn't mean I can't learn. That just means I shouldn't assume the, pres- I shouldn't assume that I will actually know everything or that even that anything I know, I will actually concretely no, right? Like objective uncertainty is the Kierkegaardian principle I'm thinking of right now. Okay, sorry, that's maybe, wow. that's... <laughs> no, that's cool though. It's, it's, huh. Because <laughs> like what you're saying attracts you to that, to that like field is exactly why I, is what pushes me away from the <laughs> <laughs> because 
just like the fact that we know that we don't know anything is like then what's the point i i always think of it as like with like a, like a, i make the analogy of like to friends whenever i describe this right like i'm never going to either have everyone in the world be my friend or even that all the people i meet like me or be my friends right but that doesn't mean i shouldn't strive to make my relationships with my existing friends better or i shouldn't uh strive to have more friends right even though i'll never have everyone like me nor will i have all everyone in the world be my friend and i look at it a similar way with knowledge right i'll never for sure i will never know everything right nor will i even have like a good and will i have a perfect grasp of what i think in quotations i know right but that doesn't mean i shouldn't try that doesn't mean i can't like pursue pursue it anyway i just have to go in with an aura of fallibility that i can be wrong if that makes sense mhm mhm so and i just like that concept because i've never i've never i've always, like i said i've always felt extremely uh immodest but at the same time uh knowledgeable of my dumbassery Sorry, I don't know if swearing is allowed in this podcast. It is. It is allowed. Uh, Go for it. <laughs> so that's that's my uh, that's my reasoning for philosophy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's honestly very impressive and very inspirational. <laughs> for for my perspective major, I'm thinking of doing either just pure economics or doing ethics, politics, and economics. But I'm actually mm. leaning more towards the latter now. But if I do the latter, like I have to take political philosophy classes, <laughs> and I was just so like just thinking about that like makes me very scared. Most political philosophy readings aren't nearly as I'd say like or metaphysical or hoity-toity as you might see in some other like more uh, philosophical readings. I'm actually wait um, Yale's PPE program is EPE like ethics instead of philosophy, right? Do you know, since you're immersed, I just have a, this is just for my own understanding. Do you know why they switched it from like the, the typical British of like philosophy, politics and economics to ethics, politics and economics? Why do they swap it out? Do you know? I have no idea, but I know it's been that way for a while. Hmm. Okay. It's just, hmm. That's really like ethics is a really cool, like philosophical field. And a lot of things should have ethical elements, but that's weird to just cut out, at least to me to cut out all the other sub-disciplines of philosophy. Mm. But you can't have everything. I guess so, <laughs> yeah. Like, the major is really cool because you, like, it's it's such a big major, right? Like, you have these three, like, sub-fields put into one, basically. And, but, like, you get to sort of pick, like, which, mm. like, what narrowed down topic or area you want to focus on. So okay. that sort of draws me in rather than just pure econ. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess I can see how either of those three disciplines in their isolation can be um, extremely limiting. So I guess it's, it is good to combine them to really look at how they interplay and how they can be applied is at least the sense of what, I guess, a PPE or EPE program would look like. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how my uh, major journey 
ghost. For a major journey. A major journey. It's of yeah. major importance. Mm-hmm, it is. <laughs> but actually not. Um, Sam, I also want to ask you, because this is the first time we've really, really caught up in a while, like, how was your first year mm. of college? First year? It was... Uh, I'd say it's a pretty... I had a good time. I uh, definitely met a lot of good friends and a lot of good people, which I think is probably outside of the academics, that's the number one thing of importance, maybe even more important than academics, which I talk about with my grandfather sometimes. But I think my first year, I definitely felt academically stimulated, maybe not as much as Andover. And we can talk about that. And we can wonder, I, because I do wonder whether or not you feel like that. But I do feel like I got a pretty decent amount of academic stimulation and pushing me outside of my comfort zone. And I also got new friends and I also opened myself up to new experiences. Like I was a terrible cook and I'm a terrible cook who can cook three things. So <laughs> like I can cook a mean stir fry. <laughs> That's progress. So <laughs> one step at a time, one, one very small baby step at a time. Right. <laughs> Interesting. So uh, how, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just wondering like, or you can, I guess, it's not my interview, but I'm just wondering, how was your first year? Like, did you feel academically stimulated at Yale compared to Andover? Uh, mm, mm. I don't, okay. I actually did not really like my classes just throughout my entire first year, honestly. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I, I felt like... I was very much still locked into a high school mindset where I had to take like a math and a science and a language mm -hmm. and an English, like something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I felt like I was still, I, I, I had to do that and I had to fit that sort of model. And so my first year I took like, I took Spanish, which I continued from high school. I took a math, that math class that was the hardest class I've ever taken in my entire life. <laughs> like, I don't know why I did that to myself. Um, so that was just a very bad experience. Like I just, I genuinely regret that. Um, so that sort of ruined, also ruined my first semester. Um, and I took an intro to American politics, which was also very boring. And I decided that in there, okay, I'm not going to political science. Um, and I took like intro to micro. So just like very basic classes, you know, so it wasn't that stimulating. It wasn't stimulating at all, actually. And I think that contributed to why I didn't have a great first semester slash great first year. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was Aww. bad, but it's okay because in my second semester, I took a really great class. Um, thinking and writing about the law Ooh. and it was so good like it was actually an English class and after taking that class I was like oh maybe I should be like, like a lawyer oh well that oh. that <laughs> that yes but also an English double major <laughs> oh <laughs> so yeah I was like really all over the map but honestly that was such a great class like taught me to be so much more concise in my writing and the professor actually went to Exeter, Andover's rival school. Mm. 
Boo. And his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and his daughter also went to Exeter. It's in our year. So. Oh. Yeah. Is she is she at Yale? Yeah, she's at Yale now. Ah, uh, the connects. The connection. <laughs> so it was just a really that like was the one the, academic the island, honestly. <laughs> Uh-oh. But yeah, I mean, how do you feel like you were, um, I mean, you talked about how you, you met new people and stuff like that. Do you think that McGill was everything that you expected? Hmm, everything that I expected. Um, I can't say, I, I don't think I was ready for how big of a school McGill is. McGill is about 40,000 people. Um, including what? grad students and Wait, it's <laughs> yeah so I think coming from I wanted a big school because I didn't like in at the time when I was at Andover I did not like how Andover was that small because it felt like I knew everyone and everyone knew me and looking back on it now I like that but at the time that was too cozy that was too too nestled in I wanted to I want some anonymity in my life but now it's the exact opposite problem it feels like McGill is like a massive disconnected uh, apparatus that barely feels like a community. Mm. And I don't know if I was ready for that going from the community that was at, uh, at Andover, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm. Mm -hmm. That, and I guess just the subtle differences of moving to Canada. It's like, you really expect everything to be mostly the same, but I think mostly, especially being in like French Canada and experiencing like nationalism here, it's just such, I, I did not know enough about it beyond like Quebec wanted to like separate the nineties. And that was like a vague notion in the back of my mind. But beyond that, I like Quebec separatism or Quebec nationalism, I should say, wasn't a, a lived reality that I knew a lot about. So that was like a social context. I just jumped into the middle of. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Talk. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little more? Cause I know you mentioned that sort of in the beginning of the episode like why did you want to go to Canada and like what differences do you see? Mm. I wanted to go to Canada. One, I think I was just, I have Canadian cousins, so I was just acclimated to Canada and Canadians from an earlier age, so it didn't really seem foreign to me, I guess. It didn't, it didn't really feel like I was stepping outside my like a uh, comfort zone, but at the same time it definitely felt like I was escaping some of the perceived and one might even say very real political hellscape that is America right now, or at least two or three years ago when I applied, right? <laughs> and so I think that and also the tuition is just so much cheaper. Like I, I'm lying if I'm saying like I'm paying like four years of McGill is going to be one year at uh, if assuming I didn't have a scholarship, assuming like four year four years of McGill is one year of like I guess Yale, because Yale's like eighty grand, right? You're kidding. Four years without a scholarship. Mm -hmm. Four years is equal to one year. And also I'm I'm paying international tuition. So I'm paying like twice as much as Canadians and four times as much as Quebecers. Wow. Yeah. And also actually it's it's less because I'm doing the calculations in my head in Canadian. And Canadian is like... <laughs> You're already a Canadian! <laughs> I'm learning Celsius. I'm so... I'm catching up. Wow. <laughs> One step at a time. Mm -hmm. No. I, U.S. tuition. We can talk about this if we want, but U.S. tuition is too much 
Like I couldn't imagine paying, like I got like, at some schools, I think I remember getting like $25,000, $30,000 scholarships and, that'd be, and it would be twice as much as what I'm paying here with no scholarship, right? That's crazy. Uh, something needs to be done. Like people, there's a lot of talk about like canceling student debt in America, which needs to be done, but they're also like tuition needs to be lowered. It's just not sustainable. Yeah, you know, I, hmm, I, because, you know, I've had, I've received scholarships basically like my entire life um, Mm -hmm. at Andover in college right now. And so, I don't know, it's not pushed me to think about like taking out loans and student Mm -hmm. debt in the same way that I think a lot of my maybe friends do, if that makes sense. That's fair. I think it's, we're in a unique situation at coming from Andover and I also think, and I could be talking out of my my ass here about Yale because I don't know about it, but I can kind of speak somewhat to this at uh, Andover. Like at Andover, I feel like there's a stratification of income to an extent to where people who are paying the tuition aren't like for Andover, probably for Yale, because it's so expensive, right? Are extremely wealthy, right? And 80 or 50K a year isn't really making a dent on their income. And like they're essentially, the people who are paying it in full typically aren't going to have to worry about like housing or where their meal is going to come from next, their next meal is going to come from or like what their like next like medical bill is if it's a surprise, like they don't have to have money stashed away. They're just they come from that degree of wealth or it's stratified in such a sense that the other half of people there are in a decent bit of financial aid. Right. So it becomes much less of a burden. Mm-hmm. At least that was that was the situation for me at Andover. And in terms of just cheap tuition, also the situation here. If I had to hype, if I had to guess, probably similar at Yale, considering it's also got a lot of potentially rich kids there, but it also gives out a lot of aid, right? Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I'm sure there's people at Yale who are like on loans, and it's going to cripple them <laughs> for the uh, <laughs> the incoming years, and probably. that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, it's very sad, and actually, like thinking about how important education is. I mean, we all know that, but just like all (laughs) different issues of like, like how important it is, like what you learn in the classroom growing up, like in middle school, high school, Mm -hmm. how important that is to just like your outlook on life. And just also Mm. in terms of accessibility, how difficult it, it can be to achieve and like obtain the kind of the quality of education that you would like like that pushed me to be like oh like maybe i want to work <laughs> in the department of education in the future but honestly, but honestly this is just one piece of my entire journey these past eight months in quarantine like bouncing <laughs> between different potential careers <laughs> would you okay let me let me press on that would you want to go into like when you say education would you want to go into like academia or do you mean like i want to be like teaching kids like 
like socializing them or like a high school teacher? What do you mean when you say education? Oh, I was saying like department of education, like government, oh. where I can make more oh. high level decisions. You know what I mean? Betsy DeVos over here. I, I, for, oh, like, no, <laughs> don't, don't, don't compare me to Betsy DeVos. Some more charter schools. Okay. Watch <laughs> out, Missouri. Watch out. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Okay. No, I, I, that's, that's not what, that's not the type of, that's not what I'm striving for. <laughs> But I just think it's, like, so powerful, like, in terms of, well, I don't really know the intricacies of this, honestly. I mean, education is definitely, I would, or at least I would say, the most important, like, facet of a functioning society, right? Because it's, like, we always talk about, like, this is for the next generation, right? The next, the future leaders. But what is sad is that in many ways, as a whole, their success depends on whether or not we, as the uh, the people who, I guess, decide or are part of the society that raises them, how, whether or not we fail them, right? And I, like, I think the, that's a very noble thing to try and pursue Department of Education, like high level stuff like that. But I also think even if you don't like go in to become like secretary of education, mm-hmm. you can definitely, like, let's say, you're, I don't know, a lawyer. <laughs> Just throwing that out, Angelina. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, I definitely, I know that um, what I'm going to try and do, even if I don't, you know, pursue Department of Education, which I almost certainly will not, is try and pursue, like, local, like, education boards. And I think this gets back to what we're talking about, with, like, stoic action, right? Like, or I guess it sums up in, in the, uh, the cliche, think global, act local, right? Like, try and get into, like, your local like school board or something and try and make like real positive change maybe not for the world or even for your greater local area but for a few kids and try and set a precedent so that they can help more people too Mm. right at least that's again that's my life philosophy and how i can rationalize you know not trying to go for super high like department of education positions I admire you for like shooting for like the big, the big stuff, like Department of Education sure, sure. stuff. But yeah, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, you're right. Aww. I'm, I don't know. I'm excited to be like the, the kind of parent who's like <laughs> active in like local school boards or like the parent teacher organizations. But that's looking more like way into the future. So that's really far in the forward. Really, Wait, this, I always I feel like I can learn a lot about uh, people through this question, mm-hmm. and I guess you've already answered whether or not you want to be a parent, which is definitely a big question these days. But it, assuming you would be a parent in the future, would you raise your children more of like a laissez-faire, let it be style, or would you be like more on them, like no, you are going to do like these things, and you are going to be an expert. laissez-faire um i think that's a great question i def i've always wanted to be a parent honestly (laughs) I i just love 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 kids um but i was thinking about this like last week i'm like dang i want to bring new people to this world like I don't know. That's a different question. But assuming <laughs> I have kids, I think right now, 
I've sort of been like a second parent already in my household. Oh. Like, yeah, because I mean, you know, I have a younger sister and um, I feel like I've been more strict with her than my parents have. (laughs) (laughs) Which I mean, I must not appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing is, my parents were a lot stricter with me than they are with my younger sister. And I guess I think that's probably the case with a lot of people who have like younger siblings and stuff. But yeah. And then I'm like, okay, so you're not, you're not being strict with her, but you were strict with me. Like, I don't understand that. (laughs) Also, It comes from a place of like, I want her to be like, like the best person, best student that she can be. So I sort of push her in that way. Maybe it's not always welcomed, but I think I've already been like this parental figure. So my parents are always like joking, like, oh, you're going to be like, when you grow up, you're going to be such a strict parent, Um, (laughs) which I don't know, but I I hope I, I hope I'm not that strict. (laughs) I both pity and no, I pity your future children, but at the same time, I know your future children are going to have great lives. Oh my gosh. <laughs> in, if in the hypothetical situation that you both have them and are super strict towards them. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's just, I had the opposite upbringing. I, I guess I'm having more, it's more similar to your, to Gloria's upbringing. My parents, again, not fully laissez-faire, let it be, but definitely, definitely heavily leaning on the yeah, if he fails, he fails, right? That kind of thing. Like, like it was like uh, some stuff would be maybe introduced to me, but pushed or uh, really like, would they really force my hands at times? I don't, can't say they did. And I don't, I think one of the problems with that parenting style is just, this is an interesting conversation we're have, having. <laughs> yeah. But I like it. I think one of the problems with this parenting style is just like, it's very like, you can definitely just like, you won't have a child who burns out necessarily, which I think is the other, the problem with the inverse style. But I think you also could have just children who might be more apathetic or might not have a lot of empathy because as much as I think, especially empathy and is like a natural human trait, it needs to be cultivated. Right. And I think that, that cultivation comes from within, but that internal cultivation needs to be, they need to see that in other people. And I think that's where if you let them a little too loose, they won't be able to see that. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. I hope that's not too abstract. I'm thinking, have you read, um, have you read um, Mencius or Mengzi? No. Oh my gosh. Every, every <laughs> bring up, I'm just going to, no, I've never read. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's just, it's uh, it's just a very he's a good philosopher. Yes, mm-hmm. he talks about like the cultivation of like your four sprouts of goodness and of, yeah, that's a tangent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think something else that I was thinking about. I don't know if you've thought about this before too, but in in relation to parenting, like growing up from a family and a background where we didn't have the most like financial stability. Like that's something that I really, really strive to have in the future. Mm. And I think about like 
how do I raise my kids in a hopefully like more financially stable household? How did I raise them to be like humble Mm. and empathetic when it comes to class? Because Mm. me growing up in my background, like money is always on my mind. And I definitely have like just this inherent sense of empathy when it comes to like thinking about other people who are on scholarship, you know, stuff like that. So I don't know, like, how do you, how, how does that happen? It's like a dangerous balance. It reminds me of the Frank Ocean song, like super rich kids, you know? What, what does that, what does that say? No, I guess, I guess that whole song is just about like, like super rich kids essentially become super spoiled. Again, it's, it's a very basic, it's not like a deep meaning. It's just uh, like they become spoiled and they become self-centered, but they also become not fulfilled, right? Which is, I think, like there's a, there's a balancing act between stability and uh, extravagant wealth. And I think, I'd, again, coming Andover is definitely informing a lot of my perspectives on this a lot. And maybe I think Yale, again, probably is similar. Uh, but just in terms of if you, you don't, you obviously do not want to come from a place where you don't know, like where you don't know where either, even if like you're, uh, if like a medical accident were to happen, you don't want to come to, you won't want to have not enough resources to where you can't pay that. Right. But at a certain amount of wealth, right. Uh, I think it, it becomes not necessarily impossible because I do know a lot of empathetic people at Andover who come from very, very great amounts of wealth. I think it becomes harder to empathize and to truly understand other situations. Hmm. Yep. Again, parenting <laughs> way in the future, way, way, way in the future. <laughs> what an interesting conversation topic to shift to. I vibe with it though. We don't, yeah. this isn't a typical conversation I have. I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that this will be the title of the episode. Homecoming off season, catching up with Sam about dot 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 parenting <laughs> oh i can talk about my cat that's how i'm that's that's why i'm feeling like a parent right now okay talk about your cat yes oh no i just got i just got wolfgang yesterday and wolfgang he he's the light of my life right now he's got he's a foster cat we're fostering him he has fiv What's which that? is it's like hiv but instead of human immunodeficiency virus feline immunodeficiency virus oh. yeah so it's a, I mean, he functions like a normal, that's a weird word. He, he's a normal cat, except for his, he's just going to die sooner, which is morbid, but that doesn't mean he can't have a happy life, right? That's true. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you're taking care of him then. Oh, yeah. I'm also allergic to him, but I love him anyway. <laughs> I've only had him for one day. Yeah. Um, Sam, do you want to talk about maybe, I mean, we're... I think we're pretty much at the time, but do yeah. you want to bring up anything else before? I mean, we could always talk. We could talk literally for days, like about different things. So, but anything <laughs> pressing that is on your mind that you want to bring up? Pressing. Oh, I don't know. I am. I just want to wait. We already we already talked about books in our um, catch up session last week, so we're fine. You can talk about what books you're reading right now. Oh, I just I just finished Song of Achilles. 
by Madeline Miller, which is not, that's an easy book, but I love it so much. It was an amazing love story between Achilles and Patroclus. And uh, reading has definitely been something, and me, I think we talked about this last week, but you can elaborate on it here, yeah. potentially. Reading is something that, well, Andover and maybe college or just academia in a broader sense, kind of really trains you to do. It kind of, and I say, like, I feel like the love of reading is not commonly instilled, at least in my experience, right? And so that was, I had not read a book for fun, like fully for fun in like four years until the pandemic hit and I've just been reading nonstop. And I love, I like, again, it sounds, to people who read, it sounds like, oh yeah, just you should have been reading the whole time. But I, to me, that really feels like I recaptured a part of my youth because I read a lot as a kid and then I feel like I hit my moody teenage years and moody teenage Sam did not want to read books. Those, <laughs> those nasty words, nah. Mm-mm. And now, we, now we've gone into slightly less moody, but still pretty moody Sam, who's a young adult and he loves, he loves reading. So I vibe with it. <laughs> That's great. That is so great that you've been reading that sounds so basic but honestly like reading has become it 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 seems like for a lot of people that i talk to too in college at like high school i guess like reading has become like a chore you know Mm. it hasn't been something that you're like you were younger you'd be like oh my gosh like i'm so excited to read this just Mm. to like just to have fun and just to like yeah read a new story (laughs) But now it's become something that's tedious and just like, ugh, that you don't want to do. I, I like how, since it's like a long-term, it's not like a movie where it's, you watch it for two hours and you might like think back on it repeatedly, but it's not like an ever-present part of your life for a bit. It's just two hours or three hours and then you can reflect on it. But for a book, since you aren't typically going to read it in one sitting, you have, I have a lot of time where I can just be walking around and I'm like, I'm thinking about the characters, I'm thinking about moments, and it's not like they're happening in the past, but they're happening in the present. It's a way they're kind of coloring my life. Maybe that's a form of, maybe I'm describing like an escapist uh, viewpoint, but I just like the the idea that books can add some extra spice to your life, Mm. you know? (laughs) Yes, definitely. Yeah, I need to get on that reading train I've started, like I was telling you last time, I was re- started reading a book called All About Love by Bell Hooks. And mm. it was very fitting because someone recommended it to me. I wrote it down, didn't do anything about it. And then at the Asian Center that I work at, at Yale, they sent all the staffers the, that exact book. And so it was also fitting because like, I've just been thinking about love a lot. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I started that and I was good. You know, I was telling myself, got to read like, every day, even if it's just a little bit, because I was also watching like Stephen Colbert. Cause I love Stephen Colbert. <laughs> and he was saying how he would read every night in high school, mm-hmm. or college, or maybe it was just high school, but something like that. And I was like, wow, if Stephen Colbert reads every night, like, <laughs> I want it. I need to read every day. He's so cool. <laughs> He's so cool. I love Steven. But yeah, I need to start reading books. 
<laughs> it sounds like such a basic statement when you say it like that. Yeah. Books, you know, the, okay, the point of these last five minutes, Angelina, books, and wait for this, they're good. Books are good. <laughs> for the last five minutes, that is our conclusion, everyone. <laughs> good. You should read books. <laughs> yeah, I like that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All right, Sam. We had a great conversation. Veered in a lot of directions. This did not I this did not go how I was expecting. <laughs> how were you expecting it to go? Not to talk about parenting. I don't think I've <laughs> talked about like parenting styles with anyone but like my parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's good. I like I think having unique catch-up conversations. It's more than just like the, you know, it's it's like because I I'd say we're pretty good friends even if we haven't talked in a bit. So it's always good to like get back to a bit of, you know, familiarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The beauty of friendship. You just never know where it'll go. Oh my gosh. Wait, that's so cute. <laughs> Sam is holding up a baby. Is it Gunga? That's how yeah, you... that's... Gunga. Oh. Mascot of our high school. That's so cute that you have that right there. But oh, yeah. Sam, before you go. Yes. I was thinking... I usually, with my guests, do rapid-fire questions. And I think you would be super fun to do that with. But I want to do something a little bit different this time. Mm. Um, I was wondering if we could do Rosebud Thorn. And I remember... Thorn, yeah. <laughs> I remember doing this all the time in Miss Murata's advising group. But I think it's it's good to just have this quick reflection, just thinking about the future. Mm. So, so wait just to recount like rose is what is already good thorn is what's bad and bud is something good that you're looking forward to yes okay okay i got this so my rose for my rose bud thorn my rose is definitely my cat i can't that is i i got a cat yesterday and i'm allergic to cats but i love i love him so much Bud, um, tomorrow I'm, my friends are coming over and we're going to water paint and that's going to be so fun. Uh, last time, last time we water painted or one of my friends water painted a goth Jesus and it's hung on the wall next to a giant portrait of Jesus. So we got regular Jesus, goth Jesus, and then Thorn. Thorn is probably, uh, I am still in midterm season here. So there's still a lot of work, but that's a little conventional, but probably good. That's only conventional. So your thorn is school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is, what's yours rosebud thorn, Angelina? My rose is that I feel like these past couple of weeks, I felt very reinvigorated because I've met new people online. Mm-hmm. I have changed some of my goals so I feel like I'm heading in a good direction I'll do thorn next so I don't end on a bad note thorn is that I am still in the vein of reading I'm I feel like I'm not able to concentrate on reading because I'm honest I feel like I have become addicted to just like screens and just being on my phone laptop so gotta change that but 
But looking to the future, I am just excited to have more conversations with friends like this and, you know, hopefully meet up with some friends in person in the Scandalous. Near, future. near future, aka like a few months when oh. I get back to school in February. <laughs> oh, wait, is your second term start in February? Yep. Our spring break got canceled. Yay. Wait, how long is your winter break all of January? Yeah. Wait, can I can I rant to you and the listeners for two seconds? Yes. My winter break is 12 days. Wait, how does that work? So, like, my last final is the 22nd. The 22nd and then my first December. Yeah, 22nd December. And then my first class of next term is January 3rd. Wow, they really are not giving a break. No. Actually, our break is shorter this year, even with the pandemic, than last year. Sorry, that's my rant. I know, I don't think there are many McGill listeners here. But if you are, you share my pain. Or, yeah. The listeners can feel empathy and feel your collective anger. Wow, that sucks. I'm so sorry about that. It's not, it's not a big deal. Okay. <laughs> well, Sam, thank you so much for Thanks coming for having to the me podcast. On. This was a beautiful conversation, and I just really appreciate you taking the time to do this. That was beautiful. I am looking forward to more off-season catch-up episodes in the future. Love, homecoming. Yay, thank you. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Angel Rena here. I hope you enjoyed listening to this off-season episode with Sam. I definitely had so much fun recording it, and it honestly also just made me smile and laugh when I was editing it as well. And... I, I really hope that I can bring some more of that fun and laughter to on-season episodes, which, speaking of, season two starts on January 2nd, so I hope you all are as hyped as I am. I've already recorded a few episodes and have got many more on the docket, so get excited! The season two guests will be talking about everything from equitable COVID-19 vaccine distribution to experiences as a transracial adoptee to affirmative action and so much more. So please make sure you rate Homecoming five stars and are subscribed to us on all podcast platforms so you are ready for the launch. I will probably be releasing some sort of season two teaser sometime in mid slash late December to give you all a sneak peek. But in the meantime, I hope all of you guys are staying safe and definitely getting enough rest. I cannot wait to talk to you all soon. Thank you.